Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Imagine there was an imposter in your house. If there was, it would be terrifying. But at least you could call the police and they could come and hopefully remove them. But what if the invader could not be seen or heard by others? And you and certain members of your family were the only ones who knew that they were there. And even worse, what if this unwelcome guest utterly loathed you and wanted nothing more than your death and destruction? Well, I'm Peter Laws, and tonight... We hear a distressing case where a house is not only haunted by some sort of spirit, it is harassed by a malevolent one. You are about to listen to Frightful and the Demon of Fremont. Emminger family made the big move in late August 1996. They would be leaving Anaheim in LA and heading almost 400 miles upcountry to live in Fremont. Patricia Emminger was 34 years old at the time and she was married to Gary. They had two children, Wendy, who was five, and Mark, who was four. And the children will play an important part in this unsettling case. Now, it's important to realize that living in Fremont is quite a bit more expensive than Anaheim, where the cost of living increases to about 40% higher. So to enable this big move, the Emmingers had to downsize into a smaller house. But they also had to sell a lot of their bigger possessions too, and that included a lot of their furniture. And the plan was to slowly replace it as they settled into their new home. Which explains why they were so delighted when they arrived at their new house on that first day to find that the previous tenants had left behind a rather large piece of furniture. Patricia grabbed the dust sheet that was covering it and she dragged it off and voila, she was delighted because beneath it was a large and attractive sofa. She was slightly baffled as to why anybody would not take such a decent piece of furniture with them, but who cares, because here it was and getting a new sofa was a substantial investment But here they were with a perfectly decent one for free. This was a good result. So they moved into the house and began to settle into the new place. But it only took a few nights before the paranormal activity began. Everyone else in the family had gone to bed and were already sleeping, except for Patricia. She decided to fire up their VCR just so she could watch one of her favorite movies to help her switch off before bed and it was about 1 a.m. in the morning. And it was as she was watching this film that she started to get a bizarre impression that something might be in the room with her. Maybe you've felt this before. Maybe you're feeling it right now. Well, she felt it. Something to her left. But when she looked over, 
she saw something. It was a black shadow. Which is no big deal, of course. Houses at night are riddled with shadows. But the more Patricia focused on this shadow, the more she realised that there was actually nothing there to cast it. Maybe she was just being sleepy. Tiredness can certainly trick the eyes, so she went back to watch the movie with the shadow just being there. And the film was almost over anyway. She'd go up to bed. But then the shadow began to move. In fact, it drifted from the left and started to pass right in front of her toward the sofa that she was sitting on. But yet again, she increased her focus on the shadow and couldn't really see how this was happening. She was confused by this, but she decided to make light of it. And she spoke in the direction of this shadow, saying something like, I don't happen to believe in ghosts, but if you are one, you seem harmless enough. So stick around if you want to. And then she shrugged, turned off the TV and headed up to bed. She really was exhausted. So tired, in fact, that it might explain why the next morning she had moved on from this silly moment with her talking to the shadows of her new house. She headed off for the day to her new job as a dental technician. And the day had been quite challenging, actually. And so when she came home, she was keen to get a little bit of me time again. And so after dinner, she decided to curl up on the couch with a book while her husband, Gary, was watching television. But he started to yawn and eventually told her he was ready to go to bed. They kissed goodnight and he headed up and so she stretched out on the sofa to keep reading her book. But something made her stop reading. A strange sound that was hard to describe or explain, but whatever it was, it made her look up over the rim of her book. And it was there again. The shadow. Standing on the left and then once again moving slowly in front of her. Whether she figured it was her imagination again, we don't know, but seeing the shadow made her talk to it again. She said, okay, if you want the sofa tonight, be my guest. I'm too tired to care. I'm going to bed. Now, you might think this sort of laid-back response for these first two experiences is strange, but actually it is quite typical of some people. I've had this experience myself even just a couple of weeks ago. I was working in my home office and I heard something crash or fall in the house and I leapt up and I was worried that something really big had fallen over. But despite me looking in every room and every cupboard, I found nothing. Yet the sound was unmistakable and it was inside my home. But my point is, I didn't start shivering in fright or flinging holy water about. I remember just laughing about it and shrugging it off and getting back to work. And then I eventually forgot about it. And I'm not sure if there's some sort of sophisticated denial or self-preservation psychology at work there. But the bottom line is Patricia's initial reaction seems ridiculous at first. But for me, it has an eerie ring of authenticity about it. Of seeing something slightly odd and trying to dismiss it. So she made this quip to the shadow. And she must have thought that's all it could be, a funny shadow, the way the light fell. And she went up to bed. The next day, she headed out to work again. And when she got home, she discovered that Gary's sister, Carrie, who at 46 was 10 years older than him, had sent them a message. Yeah, I was surprised to find that there were parents in the world who were happy to call their kids Gary and Carrie, but 
we'll move on from that. But anyway, Carrie's message was a reminder that she would be arriving the next day. It was around October by now. And Aunt Carrie really loved to come and stay with her brother and children. Because she was actually quite lonely, Carrie's husband had been killed in a small air crash six years before. She had no children. And so visits to her brother's family and kids were really quite special for her and for all of them. They loved one another a great deal. She arrived the next day and things were going really well. The kids absolutely loved having Aunt Carrie over to stay and it meant that they were able to stay home from the new nursery they'd been going to because now they could spend the day with their favorite aunt. And Patricia loved it too, not least when Carrie prepared an impressive roast dinner that evening. But as the night darkened and Carrie helped Wendy and Mark get ready for bed, read them a story and kissed them goodnight and then headed back downstairs to have coffee with her brother, Gary, and his wife, Patricia. And now the kids were out of their way, they could have a proper catch-up about all of their news. And Carrie made sure to mention that the sofa that was in the lounge was fantastic. She was so impressed at how handsome it was. And Gary explained that they'd really lucked out because there it was, it was left by the previous tenants. And as Gary and his sister were talking about this sofa, Patricia decided... Maybe it was time to share her silly little story of sitting on the sofa and feeling some sort of shadow near her. But she felt a little too self-conscious to say it was a distinct shadowy figure and so she just told them like it was a kind of wispy presence around her and she felt conscious that they might laugh at her. But then, as she told them this, even this pared-down version, something very disturbing started to occur. Patricia was talking to them about the sofa and this black figure when she felt a sudden icy chill fizzing through her body. And with that chill came a distinct and strange impression. She had the sudden sense that this shadow that had been near her on these nights was more than a shadow, that it had a personality, and that it was somehow very angry with Patricia right now for telling the others about it. In fact, it was more than anger, really. I first discovered about this case in a book written by the paranormal researcher Brad Steiger, and he wrote this eyewitness account of this family, the Emminger family, and he said that Patricia's account said that she felt at that moment a strong sense of being surrounded by, quote, ugly, malignant hatred. Now, Gary could clearly see something was the matter with his wife and he asked if she was okay, but Patricia was too frightened to say anything more about the sofa and the figure around it. She already felt that just by mentioning it in an even vague way had truly offended this figure. And so she just moved the conversation on to other matters and Gary and his sister started talking about more trivial things and yet Patricia was sitting there getting this frightening sense of movement. She was sure that the shadow from the lounge, the living room, was now moving through the room again, only she had a sense of it leaving and that it was moving towards the staircase. And as she just turned to look through the open door, she could tell that it was drifting upwards to the children's bedroom. Are you ready for a new experience from the creators of Dr. Death, Scamfluences, and Over My Dead Body? Wondery is launching the ultimate true crime fan destination, and they call it Exhibit C. 
It's a central hub to guide you through the most fascinating and complex true crime cases through a collection of fantastic podcasts from Wondery. You'll dive deep into the most devious scams and most manipulative cults and the coldest of true crime cases, seeing stories through the lens of a detective, taking you step-by-step through every twist and turn of the investigation. To experience Exhibit C, simply join the online community where you'll get exclusive access to show merchandise and member-only content. You'll also hear directly from the top criminal and social justice experts as well as the witnesses and investigators. I really like how Exhibit C helps you discover true crime podcasts like Felonious Florida, for example, but this online community also lets you connect with the experts and other listeners. Being able to follow along with these crime stories as a community is a really great idea. So go beyond the evidence and plunge yourself into the case files themselves with Exhibit C. Join now by following Wondery Exhibit C on Facebook or find us on the web at WonderyExhibitC.com and listen to true crime podcasts on Wondery and Amazon Music. Exhibit C. It's truly criminal. And as she just turned to look through the open door, she could tell that it was drifting upwards to the children's bedroom. Patricia could not stop herself. She leapt up. And as she did, the others looked at her, confused at what was wrong, but then they heard it. A loud and desperate scream coming from upstairs in the children's bedroom. Patricia, Gary, and Carrie sprang up and scrambled for the stairs. And Patricia was the one who reached the kids' bedroom first. Mark and Wendy shared a room. And she flung Mark's door open, and there he was, sitting on the bed, breathless and shaking with a look of bleak terror on his face. And Patricia cradled him in her arms and asked him, What's wrong? What's wrong? A ghost. A ghost was in our room. It held out its hand and, and it kept bending its finger at me like, like it wanted me to, to, to go somewhere. It took a while, but they managed to calm the kids down, and as they drifted naturally and finally back to sleep, Patricia, Gary, and Aunt Carrie went back downstairs to discuss this whole crazy incident. Now, naturally, Gary challenged his wife on this, saying, Hang on, have you been talking about this ghostly shadow stuff with him? Is that why he's talking about it now? But she assured him, absolutely not. There's no way she would have told him something scary like that about their new, strange house. Yet what Patricia did not say at that point was that she had felt earlier that sense of something angry and malevolent leaving the living room and drifting up the stairs to the children's bedroom precisely just before the child cried out. Gary was being so cynical and touchy about this ghost stuff, she couldn't bring herself to admit that part. So she kept the frightening piece of information to herself. Eventually, it was time for the adults to go to bed. And Steiger's account says that Patricia found it incredibly difficult to turn off the lights that night and that she walked through the house, searching for this shadow again. And while she never saw it that night, she did feel something. An oppressive and threatening presence. A feeling that something hateful was walking with her. The next morning, things seemed fairly normal at breakfast, though Mark appeared to be a little quiet. But at least the kids could still stay at home from nursery that day because Aunt Carrie was there ready to play with them and keep things hopefully lighthearted. And so Patricia went off to work, hoping that this was just an isolated incident. 
But then the following day, it was just before lunch, when Patricia got a phone call at work. It was Aunt Carrie. And this was not something Carrie would normally do to disturb her there at a new workplace. And she was very apologetic, but she said she couldn't think of any other way to say it. Mark had told his aunt that he had seen that ghost again. He had found it, just waiting for him in his bedroom. Patricia, at the dental surgery, just felt her blood run cold and she put down the phone and she arranged to leave work early that day. Her plan was for her and Gary to get home and they would go out tonight. They would take the kids and Aunt Carrie out for something fun. They'd go to a pizza restaurant and then see a movie and hopefully a a fun night out would stop this activity. But the hope was sadly misplaced because once everybody got home and went to bed, it began again. A few hours into the night, the quiet house exploded in screams once more. It was Mark again in his bedroom. The family scrambled out of bed and rushed to the room and Patricia was particularly shocked at the temperature in the kid's bedroom. She opened the door and it was freezing in there. But even worse, when Mark said he saw this strange entity appear in the room, his sister Wendy said she had seen it too. They spent about two hours trying to calm Mark and Wendy down, and then the three adults gathered again to discuss it in the kitchen, an increasingly common occurrence. Patricia knew she had to be totally open, and so she told them that this vague, wispy presence that she'd sensed the other night was actually much more substantial than that, and that she had seen a shadow figure That, over time, had started to project a cold and tangible sense of hatred toward her. Gary listened to all this as she described how this thing had drifted up the stairs to the children's room. And when she'd finished, Gary responded sadly as she suspected he would. He didn't really believe that she saw what she thought she saw. And he started to say that clearly Mark was struggling emotionally or physically, perhaps. Maybe having nightmares, that's all. But to be on the safe side, he said they should take Mark to a pediatrician as soon as possible. And so Patricia got on it the next morning and managed to book an emergency appointment with a doctor who examined Mark. He was not worried at all and said that lots of children of this age can suffer from night terrors. And then he advised Patricia to make sure that they did nothing to help fuel what was clearly a fantasy of ghosts in the child's mind. And to help him sleep, The doctor prescribed Mark a mild sleeping pill, only to be used if really needed. Well, that night Mark did struggle to sleep. And the parents, perhaps reluctantly, gave Mark, their little boy, a sleeping pill. They might as well not have bothered. Because Mark woke up yet again, screaming about a figure in his room. A figure that was again reaching out its hands towards him. And this poor young boy went through this terror for three nights. And as Patricia would hold Mark close and try to comfort him and rock him back to sleep, she said she would get a sense of what the account calls a, quote, mocking presence in the room with them. And then she started to get a sense that a message was coming from this presence, a feeling that this was nothing, that much worse was to come. 
Now, if I was Patricia, I think my mind would be racing at what might happen next, but I'm not sure if she would have predicted the sinister turn this case would take. But she discovered that the next day. She must have been encouraged that she hadn't been called at work by Aunt Carrie, so maybe the day had been ghost-free, she hoped. And sure enough, when she arrived home, she was pleased to see her daughter Wendy come rushing out and fling her arms around her to welcome her back with a kiss. This was the usual way of being greeted by the kids. But as Patricia reached out to Mark to kiss him, he snapped his face away from her and he looked back at her with a sense of utter revulsion. No. Patricia was shocked and so was Aunt Carrie and Wendy. And they were worried and Patricia asked the boy, what's wrong? And Mark said, I can't stand you. I don't want to be near you. I don't ever want to kiss you again. This attitude carried on into the evening. They were having dinner. But whenever Patricia went near Mark, he would jerk away in disgust. This was made even more hurtful because the boy was happily hugging his sister and his daddy and Aunt Carrie. But when it came to his mother, he could not bear to be near her. Patricia fell asleep that night in her bed with her thoughts racing. This must have been a horribly upsetting experience to have, but it was worrying too. The next evening, Patricia came home from work and realized that she had to do something that might get Mark on her side again. So she decided to call into the toy store to buy some presents. Just think of that for a moment, that image. I find it really poignant. This confused and worried 34-year-old mother who had previously had a wonderful relationship with her son, now seeking out a present just to make him consider being near her again must have been very challenging emotionally but she did that she picked out some toys from the toy store she had them especially wrapped and then set them into a shopping bag and headed home unsure what she would find when she arrived at the Fremont house Wendy was there as usual ready to greet her with the welcome home kiss but with Mark there was no change he just stood there glaring at her so Patricia took a breath reached into the shopping bag and she pulled out the gift first for Wendy and then the gift for Mark and Wendy screamed with excitement as she tore her present open she was delighted with it but when Patricia leaned over to give the present to Mark that she had carefully picked out for him he wouldn't even touch it you can't buy my kisses with presents he said with a cold and harsh sneer on his face And the account says that at that point, Patricia just looked at him, sensing a sort of conflict within her son. And she was brokenhearted to see him struggling. And she managed to keep herself from breaking down into tears. Which was when the look of anger on his face suddenly changed and he sprang in her direction and threw his arms around her, desperately pleading with her and saying, Mommy, Mommy, I do love you. Sometimes I just don't understand what I'm saying. Patricia just hugged him close and kissed his forehead and reassured him that she loved him no matter what. But then, in an instant, that warmth in Mark's face just faded away like a candle being blown out. And there in its place was a look of utter contempt. 
awesomely Mark started to writhe and snake himself out of her embrace, shouting, Why can't you just leave me alone? She felt him slip from her arms and saw his little feet racing from the room and from somewhere in the house, she heard his little voice shouting with anger and venom, saying, I don't love you anymore. Patricia crumbled into tears on the floor with a single question in her head. Did she even want to know the answer? What had gotten into her son? Join me next time for the second and final part of this two-part Frightful, where we see the paranormal activity in the Emminger house move into overdrive as the entity begins to reveal its hideous self. Will the family survive? That's next time. But for now, you've been listening to Frightful and the Demon of Fremont. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.